0: Today's Bible reading is 1 Timothy chapter 6, but today we're only going to be concentrating on verses 1 to 10, and we'll cover the rest of it next week. Let all who are under a yoke as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honour, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. All right, when Paul took the gospel to Thessalonica, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 17, and people were turning to Jesus, and the Jewish leaders, they were a bit jealous about this, so they started a riot and then they had these Christians dragged before the, before the authorities, and they said, these men have turned the world upside down, and now they've come here. And I'm here today to tell you that their accusations were pretty well right, at least from their perspective. From their perspective, becoming a Christian does turn the world upside down. Nothing stays the same. Everything changes. But but of course, from God's perspective, what's happening is we're being turned the right way up. And whether we're still a little bit upside down because we've been harbouring some of the perspectives of the world in our hearts, or whether we're now right side up, will pretty much determine how we're gonna take today's Bible reading. See, to become a Christian, to become a disciple of Jesus, it's not about making a few adjustments to our lives. And it's not about adding a little bit of Jesus to our lives. It's about being born again to a completely new life and into a completely new kingdom. So today we're going to delve into the first 10 verses of chapter 6, but we did read the whole of chapter 6. And the reason that we read the whole of it is because the key to understanding the first 10 verses actually comes later on in the chapter. The key to this chapter is, And really, the key to living the Christian life is the good confession. It's what we truly believe because we're living by faith. But what is this good confession? What is this faith that we hold on to? Paul said in verse 13, Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. So, well, what did Jesus say to Pilate that was so amazing? Well, we find it in John chapter 18. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And he went on to say that if his kingdom was of this world, things would be different. The, The example that he gave would be, my disciples would be fighting for me right now. But his kingdom wasn't of this world. It would be different. And then he said, and you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. All right. so the good confession of Christ was, my kingdom is not of this world. It is very different to this world. And Christ was born to bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth listens to Jesus. All right. so... That's a little glimpse of what's going to come next week, but we we need to know this to be able to apply it to what we're studying today. So the topic for today can be summed up in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. It's about finding our contentment in Christ. As a Christian, do you have contentment or are you looking for something more? Actually, let me change that question, and I'll put it simply. Are you content? And I change that question because I don't want us to start thinking of our lives as as having all of these different compartments, right? So we might judge our level of contentment in our family life. And, oh, yes, I'm reasonably happy there or not, or or we might judge our level of contentment in our working life or in our recreation life. We might judge our level of contentment with our financial position, whether I want more or less, or not too many want less, um, or with the things that we have or the things that we wished we have, or then we might think about our level of contentment in our spiritual life and, oh, I'd like this to change or whatever. But let's not do that. Let's not divide our life up into all of these different compartments because the whole of your life and the whole of my life belongs to God the whole of it and so what's the question the question is am I content and overall a lot of people would say yeah I'm content I'm content but the the trouble is when we then look at all of the little compartments we say but I'm not content with this and I'm not content with that and I want to change this and I want to change that And many of us will have plans, will have dreams, will have ambitions in all areas of our lives and and sometimes it gets to the level that until I achieve these, I'm not content. But the thing is, when we start to chase contentment, a common practice, and I know it well because I've had this in my own life, we keep changing the goalposts. And we sort of think that this is where I'm going to be content, but by the time we get there, we're not content. Um, Probably the easiest way and the easiest example of this is if we think about finances, right? So it sort of starts out, I'll be content when I've got a job that I'm getting reasonable pay. Or then I'll be content when I've saved up enough for a deposit on a house. Or then I'll be content when the house is paid off. But of course, by the time the house is paid off, it's I'll be content when I've actually got the house I really want. And so I need to do some extensions and some major remodeling or completely start again and get a bigger house or, or whatever. And then I'll be content, I'll be content when I can retire. But no, I need more than that because I'll, I'll be content when I can afford to travel while I'm retired. You with me? We keep shifting the goalposts. When is enough enough? When are we gonna be content? How much land do I need to be content? How many cattle do I need to be content? How many rental properties do I need to own to be content? How many shares do I need in my portfolio do I need to be content? And how much do I need in my superannuation fund to be content? How much is enough? What is it gonna take for me to be content? The story goes that J.D. Rockefeller, um, who at the time was the richest man in the US, um, he basically controlled the whole of the oil industry in the US, um, and he was asked by a reporter, how much money is enough? And he answered, a little bit more. That's always the answer, a little bit more. But for some folk, contentment isn't found in money or possessions. Their contentment might be in achievements. Right? So I'll be content if I've written a book. I'll be content when I've set a record. I'll be set when I win a medal. I'll be set I'll be content when I've got enough followers on social media and I'm popular. I'll be content if I have good health. Um, They get their contentment by achieving a political ambition or they get their contentment by having a certain level of fitness or just being able to do what they enjoy doing. Are you content? Because when we are content, all of the little compartments, you know, those compartments of our life that when we think about them, yeah, that needs to be improved, that needs to be improved, improved. But when we have a general contentment, none of that matters. Contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. All we need is godliness. Are you content with godliness? If so, great gain, great gain. Now, if your godliness meant that you had to give up everything else, would you still be content? Are you content that Jesus gave his life for you? Are you content that Jesus paid the price and redeemed you from your sin? Are you content that you have eternal life? You see, as disciples of Jesus, our contentment, it's not about self-sufficiency. It's about the sufficiency of Christ and the contentment that we have in Christ, godly contentment. It is so different to worldly contentment. People of the world want so many different things to what we do to be content. And the contentment that we have in Christ, it it stretches way beyond the stuff that I've been talking about already. It stretches way beyond the cravings that we have for money or possessions or achievements. It it even breaks into the realm of what, what we might consider as our rights or as our freedoms. You see, when you become a Christian, a lot of things change in your life. But not all of your circumstances will change. And yet, even in the same old, sometimes harsh life circumstances in which we live, you'll find contentment, a contentment that you didn't once have, because your contentment is in Christ. Now, the first two verses of the reading today really highlighted this for me. So there were slaves in Ephesus, all right? So Paul is writing to Timothy, who's been pastoring a church in Ephesus. And, and some of the people in this church were slaves. They were slaves before they became Christians. And then when they became Christians, they're still slaves. Now, how do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, imagine that, that you were one of these. Imagine that you were a slave, but you've become a Christian. And so now you've been set free from your sin because you're now in Christ and you've been welcomed into the church and your experience of the church is something new and marvellous to you, something that you've never experienced before because in the church there are no classes. The slave and the free are brothers and sisters in Christ. In the church... A slave can be an elder. A slave can be a preacher. Can you imagine that? A slave can be giving the message and be teaching his master if he happens to also be in the church. So that's what it's like for him in the church, but his circumstances in the world have not changed. The slave remains a slave. And Paul is saying here that that every slave who bears the yoke Right? So you know what the yoke is? The yoke is the, what makes it that this slave is actually a beast of burden. Right? It's a very menial, harsh severity. He's s- someone who does the work of a mule or an ox pulling a cart or carrying a load. He says, but if this is you, make sure that you give your master, and the Greek word there for master is despotus. despotis. Um, and you know what a despot is? Um, and it's exactly the same meaning in the Greek. A despot is one who has complete power and authority over another, and usually not in a good sense. And so he's saying, you give your despot, you give your master full respect, full honour. Now that would make some people's blood boil. Yeah, but, but what about my rights? What about my freedoms? But it's not about our rights and our freedoms. Rights and freedoms are the sorts of things that the people of the world find contentment in. My rights, my freedoms, my stuff. But as disciples of Jesus, the kingdom that we belong to is not the kingdom of this world. It's the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And even a slave can be in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and content because he is in Christ. Because our hearts are set on eternity. And and so our contentment is in Christ and our contentment is found in serving Christ and in living for his kingdom. And so Paul's advice to the slave is, Submit to your master? No more than that. He's saying to honour your despot. Honour your master for the sake of God and for the sake of the gospel. Right? So a slave, an ordinary everyday slave, a worldly slave, was forced to be loyal, forced to honour. But the Christian slave chooses to be loyal, chooses to honour, for the sake of God and the gospel. Why? You see, if God and the gospel was viewed as something that would make their slaves disrespectful, and would make them poorer workers, that would give a very bad impression of what being a Christ follower is about. So how do we apply this today? we obviously don't have slaves. Well, you're obviously not a slave anyone, unless you work for your parents. That' probably comes close. Um, but as an employee, be the best employee that you can be. Honor your boss. be a hard worker. Give him value for money. We bring glory to God when our bosses recognize that his best employees are Christians. And why are they such good employees? Because they're respectful workers and because they work hard. Now, if people viewed that about Christians, that would give God glory. But why would we do that? Because our contentment is bigger than our rights, bigger than our freedoms, bigger than what I can get out of it. Our contentment is in Christ. So whether you are an employer or whether you're an employee or whether you are a slave, as a Christian, your contentment is in Christ. He even goes on to say that, you know, even if you've got a Christian master, don't expect to, to, don't be lax because you have a Christian master. Work all that much harder because the one who is benefiting from your good service is a believer and beloved of God. So in other words, bless your Christian boss by giving him full respect and working harder because he is a brother in Christ. I think what we're being shown here is the concept of Christian, serv- Christian servanthood, which is something which is very much missing in the minds of many in the church today. The kingdom of this world would have us to strive and elevate ourselves at all costs. And we climb the ladder, climbing over the top of others, standing on their fingers as as we go. But the way of Christ is to be the servant of all. The Apostle Paul says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Now there are so many strange ideas of what being a Christian is around today. In fact, there are many Gospels that are being taught that, that bear no resemblance, resemblance at all to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And their teaching is not the sound teaching of godliness. You see, the words of Jesus and and godly teaching continually remind us that that the kingdom of God is not of this world. And they remind us that the ways of the kingdom of God are very different to the ways of this world. They remind us that that our eyes are fixed on eternity and the coming kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, And we're also reminded that his kingdom is breaking into this world now. But the rot sets in because the kingdom breaking into the world now is completely misunderstood. Some view the kingdom of God breaking into the world as an agenda of reform in the political realm. It's not. The kingdom breaking into the world is disciples of Jesus turning the world upside down because we've been turned the right way up. And, and because we are being turned the right way up, our contentment is in godliness because we ourselves are changed. We ourselves are renewed. We are being transformed. As we live with selfless godliness that's when the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. I'm going to say that again. When we live with selfless godliness, that's when the kingdom of God is breaking into this world. And anyone who presents a a version of the gospel that does not have this in view is puffed up and knows how much? Nothing. Nothing. Now, Paul describes here the characteristics of the motivations of such people, which are false teachers. Uh, Their characteristic is they're puffed up with conceit. That simply means they're full of themselves. Right? I know stuff that you don't know. God's given me a special revelation and you just don't know it yet, but I'm going to show it to you. But they understand nothing. They just don't get it. They're seeing things from a worldly perspective. Even spiritual blessings, they, they process from a, a, a worldly mindset. And they do not know the ways of Jesus and the teachings of Christ. And their motivations, what is it that drives them in this false gospel? They actually crave controversy. Um, they, they love to be able to teach something new. But because it's new and different and not the age-old gospel, it's controversial. And they crave quarrels about words. They're twisting the gospel by reinterpreting words that Jesus said to create a new word and a new message. And when this false gospel is taught, this is the effect. Envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction. And here's the kicker. And this is, this is the one which is so common and it's the one which Paul focuses on in the remainder of the reading. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. How, how could you ever come to that position on the gospel? I mean, we have the example of Christ. We have the teaching of Christ. How could I draw out of something so selfless That godliness was somehow a means of me getting more to come to that conclusion one has to have what Paul calls a corrupt mind and not know the truth because it's the exact opposite of what Jesus teaches and yet in Australia today and even in our own very town Um, Some of the fastest growing churches teach this very thing, that godliness is a means of gain, right? The message might come, you donate money and God's going to give you a breakthrough. God's going to give you stuff. Come to Jesus, and he'll heal your cancer. Become a Christian, and you will prosper. You'll become a person of influence. You'll get that house. You'll get that promotion. You'll get that blessing you've been seeking. You'll get that healing. We get all of these promises, and you know what? Probably back in the day, the message might have been to the slave, you'll get your freedom. But where does that message come from? It's so different to what Jesus teaches. It can only come from the evil one. But why is it so popular? Why is it so readily accepted? It's because it appeals to that part of us that's still upside down. That bit where we still harbor the cravings of the world rather than the cravings of the kingdom of God. So let's come back to the question Are you content? Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of this world. As disciples of Jesus, our contentment is only in things of eternal value. Remember what Jesus said? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy nor where thieves break in and steal for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Uh, A builder was recently telling me about a big flash expensive house that he's building and he happened to be working for a Christian at the time and the words just came to my mind moth and rust. A Christian farmer I know bought yet another property and the words that came to my mind moth and rust. And hey, I'm not immune. Sometimes I plan to build something or I plan to buy something and mm, I don't really need it. And the Lord says to me, Michael, moth and rust. Are we content with the lord jesus christ and the godliness that he leads us to but the thing is we seem to have ways of justifying our worldly cravings don't we um robin and i um if you could be a fly on the wall in our house you would have observed many conversations do do flies have ears i don't know um These are conversations about the difference between a want and a need. Uh, By the way, if you know us, you would know very well that Robin's the one who's on Jesus' side. And it's Michael who says, I need this. And she goes, do you really need it? I think it might be a want and not a need at all. Um, But where do we draw the line between a want and a need? Where do we draw that line? seems a very arbitrary thing, doesn't it? You know what? It's pretty low down. Verse 8 says, If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. It's a pretty low bar for contentment, isn't it? That's a pretty low bar for the difference between a want and a need. Food and clothing. When Jesus taught us to pray, what did Jesus teach us? Give us today our daily bread. Lord, just give me enough food just for today. I don't even need tomorrow's share. If I just have enough to keep me going today, that's enough. And yet, some teachers, God wants you to be rich. And even most who don't hold to that teaching, if if we were honest, we still want to be rich. Most people are a fair bit like that Rockefeller fella. I just need a bit more, just need a bit more. But why would I want to be rich? I mean, people think that being rich is a blessing and it is at a level, but it boils down to our desire and our contentment or lack thereof. God's word talks about desire. It's those who desire to be rich who fall into temptation. It's those who desire to be rich who fall into a snare or a trap and, and fall into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. How does that work? Well, if, if it is my desire to be rich, it's really easy for me to fall into dishonesty. Right? So, for example... It's really easy for me to claim a tax deduction for something that's not really a business expense, but I know I'll get away with it. It's really easy for me to forget to subtract that half-hour break that I had off of my timesheet and still put it into the boss. And when we desire to be rich, whether I'm rich or whether I'm not rich, if I desire it, that's where we fall into the trap. And it results in spiritual ruination. Allah, the prosperity gospel. We're told here that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, that verse is probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Most people will just say money is the root of all evil. It's not. Money can be used for much good. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Now, from what I've observed in the world, those who love money, and when we're talking about that, we're not just talking about the folded green stuff, although it's all different colours now. Um, not just talking about cash. We're not just talking about how much you've got in your bank account. Um, we're talking about those things that we crave for those who aren't content and so they crave more money so that they can get what they really want what they really crave and you know what in general most people if they set that as their aim they will achieve that if they have a certain thing that they're aiming for, more land If I made my whole life about trying to get more land, I might possibly achieve that. Or if I'm wanting more money, if I strive really hard to get that, I might be able to achieve that. But to what end? Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's that's pretty hard. Um, I've heard preachers try and explain that away. They say, "Oh, yeah, but you know, there was a gate in Jerusalem that was known as the eye of the needle, and that was called that because it was so small, and and you had to actually get that camel down on its knees and get it to shuffle through the gate." No, there wasn't. You know what a needle is, don't you? It's got a little eye on it. Yes. You know what a camel is, don't you? If you haven't seen one recently, there's usually one out on Jackal Wall Lane somewhere. If you go out there, you'll probably see one. It's a bit hard to get that camel through that eye of that needle. It's impossible. And that's how hard it is for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. And that very thing was demonstrated by the rich young ruler. There was this young man um, came to Jesus and said, what do I need to be saved? And Jesus said, oh, you know the commandments, keep the commandments. And he said, yep, done all that. And Jesus didn't say, liar, you haven't kept those commandments. He didn't say that. This man had kept most of those commandments. Then Jesus said to him, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor Then you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And this young fella, he was disheartened by that. And he went away sad. Why? Because he had a lot of stuff. Now, Jesus didn't say that to everyone. He only said it to that one bloke. Why? It's because he loved what he had. It's because that was his source of contentment. And rather than give up his worldly goods, he walked away from Jesus. You know, most of us would go, oh yes, Jesus only ever said that to him. Um, Jesus would never say that to me. But you know what? In my own life, I've looked at this and I think, you know what? the more I try and justify why I would not be that man actually reveals how much I am like that man because I find contentment in my stuff instead of in Jesus. Why would I ever desire to be rich when God's word is telling me that this could actually cause me to fall from my faith? It is that serious. He said, it is through this craving. What craving is he talking about? The love of money. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So I think the challenge for us today is where is our contentment? Seriously, really. Really? Where is your contentment? And does the way that we live and do the priorities that we set in our lives, what does that tell us, tell our children about our contentment? What does that tell our kids about where we find our contentment? Is it in Christ? Or is it in something else? And because we're bush disciples today, um, I believe we we need to talk to to parents of rural families because I believe this is a particular and difficult challenge for you. Is our contentment in Christ or is it being in a landowner? This is something I had to grapple with in my own life early on. When mum and dad decided to sell our farm, that was where my whole contentment was. That was where my whole life was focused on. And I realised that my contentment had to be in Christ. What are our sons and daughters learning from us? What are they learning about contentment and where it's found? And I'm sharing this because... For many rural families, it spans generations of of scraping together more and more so that I can pass on workable size farms to to each of my children. Now, I am not saying that it's a bad thing to pass on a farm to a kid. And if God has blessed you with this, then, then you have a privilege of being able to bless your children by passing it on to them. It's not a bad thing at all but it is if I'm passing on to them that, son, this is where your contentment is found. Because it is not. The truth of the matter is, if we've got food for today, if we've got clothes on our back, that's enough. Because our contentment is in Christ. Next week, we're going to be focusing on faith, godliness and eternal life even for those who are rich all right so we've we've said today that it's really hard to be a believer if you're rich but jesus said to his disciples with god all things are possible and next week we're actually going to learn how to be a faithful disciple of jesus even if we are rich let's pray Lord Jesus Christ, turn us the right way up. We confess that sometimes we are not content and we look for our contentment somewhere other than you. When that happens, we we realise there's a remnant of worldliness opposing the kingdom of God. Lord, forgive us for our love of money. It's a very seductive thing. Promise us promising us things that we feel will give us contentment. But it's like a mirage. The more we get, the the more we just want just a little bit more. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, fill us with contentment in you, a contentment that is completely independent of what I have or of the circumstances that I'm in. Lord, what an amazing blessing to be completely content as we fix our eyes on you. As you said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And so, Lord, we seek you. You are our heart's desire. You are our Lord. You are our savior. You are our hope. You are our joy. You are our contentment. Amen.